I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today, I interview Leslie McCall and Jeff Hernandez. Leslie helps women who are dealing with a husband, fiancé, or boyfriend who's wrestling with pornography or sexual addiction. Listen as Leslie and Jeff talk about how to confront a person who's trapped in sexual addiction, how to overcome the fear of change, how to deal with gaslighters, angry people, and counterattackers, how you can't forgive unless you know what you're forgiving, and how to deal with self-blame. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no-regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Hey, it's December of 2022, and I want to invite you to the CLIMB Small Church Leadership Conference, November 30th of 2023 in Dallas, Texas. I really want you to be there. Whether you live in the U.S. or overseas, It's going to be a fantastic time. Small church leaders, missionaries, people that want to grow are going to gather. They're going to learn. We're going to share ideas. It's going to be a powerful time. So please put it in your budget, put it in your schedule for November of 2023. It's about a year away. It's going to be in Dallas, Texas. You've got plenty of time to get ready for it. Bring your friends, bring your family. It's going to be an amazing, amazing time. Also, I've got a new section on the podcast called Life Advice. And so if you have any questions about your ministry, your dating life, your personal life, family, anything else, go ahead and email it to me at rob at robskinner.com. And I probably have my wife help me out with some of these, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And so please, life advice, go ahead and email me, rob at robskinner.com. Also, if you know of a topic or a person or a couple you feel like I should cover on my podcast, please email me at rob at robskinner.com. Some of the best referrals that I've been given, some of the best interviews that I've I've been a part of have been people who said, Hey, you really need to talk to so-and-so. And again, if you're living outside the U S it's especially important because oftentimes I don't cross paths with those people and your referral can make all the difference. So please let me know of a person or a topic that you would like to have covered on the podcast. Today, we're going to interview Leslie McCall, who's the wife of Jeff Hernandez. And they're disciples living in Portland, Oregon, going to the Bridge Church of Christ, and together they lead Loving Wings Recovery. They're addiction recovery coaches, and they help people get sober from sexual addiction. Leslie is an AASAT, which stands for American Association for Sex Addiction Therapy Certified Coach, who specializes in partner betrayal trauma. She's completed level one Gottman couples therapy training in addition to Gottman training for affairs and trauma and is a certified trauma support specialist through the Arizona Trauma Institute. Her clients range from spouses of men experiencing sexual addiction in all of its forms, pornography, physical and emotional affairs, intimacy, anorexia, to single women wanting to change self-destructive behaviors in an effort to not repeat their past relational mistakes. 
all the way to young adult women, women struggling with their own sexual addiction. You can read more of her story on their website at lovingwingsrecovery.com. And the best way to reach Leslie is by email, leslie at lovingwingsrecovery.com. Leslie and Jeff, great to have you guys on the program. Thank you, Rob. Hi. It's great to be here. Now, Leslie, I I met Jeff a long time ago, 30, 30 plus years ago in Portland, Oregon, which is awesome. And he shared his story in episode 150 and shared a lot about his his background and how he got into um, coaching recovery. But I want to hear your side of the story. How did you and Jeff meet? Oh, we have a very sweet story. I love our story. Um, Jeff and I met online, which is if you knew me in um, person, you would just think that was the funniest thing you've ever heard. Um, so I got online, just thought it would be fun, have a couple coffees, maybe have dinner, um, never imagining that my third date would be with the man that I would fall head over heels in love with and end up marrying two years later. Um, you know, it was a miracle. I just, I can't, I can't even explain it. It was amazing. Okay. So Jeff at that time had drifted away from the church and, and had, you know, gone through some challenges. You can get the backstory in, in, the, in that episode 150. How did you become a Christian in the midst of all that? So this is my second marriage. Um, and, you know, when Jeff and I were dating and he, he disclosed, you know, a couple months, probably like five months in that he was struggling with uh, pornography addiction um, which I will add, I'd actually never even heard of. Um, so I didn't know it was a thing. Um, I must have had this, this facial expression that said, this woman is going to run for the hills. Right. <laughs> so something, you know, he must have seen that because when he said that to me, I just, I kind of couldn't conceptualize going back into a relationship with an addiction because I had just left a marriage of 24 years where I watched this person that I loved with everything that I had. I built a family with this person and he fell into a major um, addiction to alcohol. And um, so that was, you know, I just, I couldn't do it again. And Jeff immediately, you know, he, I said, what are you going to do? And so he called a friend, got into um, recovery, and got sober. And at that same time, kind of simultaneously, you know, the Bible came out. And I'm a big reader, and I love a good story. So I would ask him, you know, what are you reading? Um, tell me what you're reading. And so it was really sweet. And um, so he'd share with me. And I remember there was a Valentine's day right before COVID started and we went to Powell's bookstore and we got my first Bible. And because I'm a bit of a book nerd, my first Bible is about five inches thick and it's <laughs> a cultural anthropological study of it's the Bible, but it's also people, place, time, everything. I love it. <laughs> so we got that and we started with the book of John and I just, it makes me emotional. I just started crying 
And I looked up at Jeff and I said, what's happening to me? And he just said, Leslie, the Bible's a love story and you love love. <laughs> and I just knew that I, I'd found this thing that I felt God close to me. I've experienced a lot of loss in my life, but I didn't really have the words. And I didn't have a book that explained this kind of love. Um, and I just, I just, it, it changed my life. And wow. so we studied and studied and I'm not really a kind of halfway person. So I really wanted to make sure I was sincere. I didn't want to just, oh, get baptized and hooray. I wanted to feel it in my heart. And I remember when we did the study of the cross, um, I was just, I fell completely apart. <laughs> I went from, I'm not a sinner to, oh my gosh, <laughs> <laughs> I have, you know, this heart that, that can sin. Um, and that's when I knew I was, I just looked at Jeff and I said, I'm ready. And wow. so we got married in June of 2021. And then I got baptized actually, um, on Jeff's birthday at <laughs> Lost Lake with, beautiful Mount Hood um, in the background and it was perfect. Wow. And it was honestly, it was just like this beam of sunlight's just kind of on me. It's amazing. I can't describe it to people who aren't Christian, like all of my friends and family. <laughs> they just don't understand. Right. But hopefully someday they will. It's it's one of the most interesting stories because out of out of difficulty, out of weakness God, God works. It reminds me of kind of like Balaam's, Balaam's donkey. You know, God was working through, through Jeff in his weakness to, to save a person. And obviously Jeff, that, that brought you back. I mean, that must've really spurred you on. You shared your story in that, in episode 150, but Leslie, why, I mean, that's, that's one thing to go ahead and get married, which is awesome. But why, why in the world did you ever get involved in coaching women whose husbands struggle with addiction? Well, because I've been there, you know, I, um, I know what it's like to be the, the best metaphor. And there are women that will hear this and nod their heads. The best metaphor, I'm a mother of three. I mean, I was devoted to my family is I was drowning. I was alone in this deep. It makes me shake thinking about it in this abyss. And I was just barely, barely hanging on. I barely had my head above water. But at the same time, I'm drowning. I'm pushing my children above the, you know, I'm trying to keep everybody mm. above the water. And I'm sacrificing myself to do it, which is what a mother does. Um, but when I gave my husband at the time, that final boundary, that final ultimatum, you know, this is not working. I can no longer live this way. Um, you have to go into recovery. You have to go to rehab or it's over. I mean, I've been with this person since I was 19. I was 48. This is a big deal. <laughs> I have three amazing children. This was me saying, I'm willing to lose everything I've worked for. And he chose alcohol and it, you know, it destroyed me. And 
so in that loss, I, I ended up just healing, you know, I had to rebuild my life. I had to find out who I was without this person. Um, I had to get strong and enter my own recovery from being his partner for all those years. And so when Jeff, you know, when Jeff got into recovery and nine months after that, well, I will say that when he got into recovery, his coach said, you're what, you know, Leslie should absolutely start working with my wife Mm. because I had my own patterned dysfunctional behavior that I had adopted in order to survive the dysfunction of living with an addict who's actively in his addiction. And mine was codependency and just things that I needed to stop doing if I wanted to have a healthy um, relationship with Jeff. Okay. That, that word codependency, that gets thrown out a lot. Can you, can you give me a, an easy definition for a person who doesn't understand that term? Well, I'll say that the term has a negative connotation and I, I get that. Um, but I will say that I proudly say that I am a codependent in recovery. I used to be the president. Um, <laughs> the definition is different. <laughs> I told you I don't do kind of. Um, the definition is different for everybody. So um, it basically is putting everybody else ahead, everybody else's needs, wants, and desires ahead of your own. Um, Metaphorically, it's me running in front of the runway and smoothing the rug for everybody else Mm -hmm. so that nobody has to stumble or struggle. Um, If you're uncomfortable, Rob, I am going to do everything I possibly can to make you not be sad or lonely or it's um, it's just it's dysfunctional. It's profoundly dysfunctional, but it's it's delivered with such sincerity and love. And, you know, we're, we're some of the most kind, generous people that you're ever going to meet. Unfortunately, we put everything that might keep us healthy or happy at the, the bottom of the pile. Got it. And so we, it doesn't help. Okay. It's so, how we make order out of chaos, to be honest. Like what you talked about, about keeping everyone else afloat while your head's underwater. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So getting back to the question about why you got involved in coaching women. Mm -hmm. So, so I entered into my own recovery with Jeff's coach's wife, who is now, who is still my coach and um, a very dear friend. And we just started working on me. You know, I realized that I can't micromanage Jeff's recovery. I, of course, know everything he should do. (laughs) You know, that's the codependent in me. You should just do X, Y, and Z and you'll be fine. But um, you can't do that. His recovery is 100% on him and my recovery is 100% on me. So what I do is I ended up digging into my family of origin and maybe why I did the things I did and do the things I do. because once you become aware of them, you take away the self-loathing. And I don't beat myself up about the things I do or think. I just kind of think about them more deeply mm-hmm. and stop myself from doing those um, kind of knee-jerk reactions. So after about nine months, our coaches just said, you guys should do this. Mm-hmm. You're good at it. Mm-hmm. 
And I, of course, I said, Jeff, you are, you're so good. <laughs> you should totally do it. <laughs> I mean, I had things that I was doing that gave me great purpose and, and, um, and he just said, I'm not going to do it unless you do it with me and we do it as partners, wow. because I think that's how we're going to do the best work. It's been amazing since Jeff came down and did a men's, well, didn't do the men's retreat, but spoke at our men's retreat in the spring. It's totally changed people in our church who he's, he's coached from that time forward. And I just hear so many good things. I mean, it's really encouraging to see people whose lives have hope, feel like they're, they're making progress, gaining traction in purity. That's awesome. So mm-hmm. it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Now let's, let's dig in a little bit here at Leslie. How do you know when your husband or your boyfriend or whoever it might be has an issue? Hmm. Well, I mean, in a perfect world, you've got, you've got the partner, spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend. I'll just say right now, this, this addiction is for everybody. (laughs) It makes no distinct distinction between male or female, um, and it also makes no distinction between socioeconomic, race, ge- nothing, nothing. It's everybody. So having said that, if you're lucky, you have a partner that shares with you and just comes out and says, I'm struggling with this addiction. I can't stop. Um, so so that's easy. But most most of the time, it is, it's a gut feeling. These women know that something feels different there. Maybe their spouse um, is distant or absent. Um, You know, maybe their spouse is indifferent. I think one of the things, and Jeff and I were speaking of this this morning, um, and he said, you cannot have true intimacy in your relationship if there is lust, if there's fantasy, Um, And pornography is all fantasy, prostitution, strip clubs, all of those things prevent true intimacy. And in my experience, women can feel that. When that goes away, um, we feel it. Mm -hmm. We might not know what's happening, but but we feel that something is different. So you feel it. And then the, like you mentioned, I was going to say that, go ahead. Oh, sorry. (laughs) The, the last scenario, and this is, is often this is the tra- most tragic is the women that had no idea who thought they had wonderful marriages, their husbands, you know, were present and, but, um, but were living uh, complete hidden lives. Mm. Those women are truly shattered and mm. maybe they've been married for 40 years and found out their spouse has been cheating on them for 39 of them. Mm. Okay, so what you're saying there is you can you can sense it in your body. You you can feel it from the body language, the differing behavior. Something something started or something stopped. But what do you do when you find something? Let's let's say you're you're looking on the phone and you're like, "Whoa, what's that?" Or in that situation where you discover something that wasn't intended to be discovered, how do you confront the situation? Mm-hmm. Well, I want to say it takes, it takes a lot of courage. These are the strongest women I've ever encountered. Um, 
what you, you know, you, you have to confront them. If something's going to change, you have to, there has to be a confrontation. Um, I would, you know, in my heart, I, you know, I hope that you can dig deep and realize that your spouse is sick. It's, you know, Jeff, Jeff has a wonderful saying, these are not bad people trying to get good. They're sick people trying to get well. And that is something, if you can have some compassion, um, but also be completely direct. I found this, what's going on? Mm. I need to know, we need help. Mm. And then get help, have a plan, have, have options. Okay, but that that's all well and good. But mm-hmm. what if your husband or, or whoever it is is a, a gaslighter and they're they're a counterattacker or they're defensive or they're angry or they they just you know just are explosive in their anger and it and you're afraid. What do you do in that situation? Well, well, you have to make sure you're safe at all times, and maybe maybe you have to have. I mean, I'll share my story. I asked, I asked my ex-husband, one of our dearest friends to come to the house so that I could have support um, so that I wasn't alone. And so if you have somebody like that in your life who can just sit there, um, I will say, and I don't mean to be sarcastic, but this question made me laugh. Um, They're all going to gaslight. They're all going to be defensive (laughs) and they're all going to be angry. I mean, you have to laugh because it's, it's, you know, it's just reality. They've lived in secrecy and this, this addiction thrives on secrecy and shame. And um, so you have to keep yourself safe and you have to ignore all of those gaslighting defensive behaviors and just recognize that your spouse is panicking, you know, truly panicking. Can I can't, I, I can't explain it. Okay. But what happens if I know these are a whole bunch of scenarios <laughs> they confront, they confess to some stuff, you know, they go, Oh yeah, well I just blew it. It's not really a big issue, but you have the distinct impression that there's a lot more there. And how do you deal with the deceit? Well, you deal with the deceit with a good coach who guides you through dealing with the deceit. <laughs> okay, there you go. You have a you have a recovery plan because the deceit's not it's not all going to come out the first time you confront your spouse. Yeah, and this is Jeff. I was just going to say, for me, the thing that I know is that recovery begins with honesty. And until somebody's ready to be honest, they're not going to heal. They're not going to recover. So that's one of the most important things is that. Um, somebody who's struggling with addiction has to be ready to face it and deal with it. And, you know, and, and it's, it's amazing how, how much we can procrastinate on getting help. I know it took me a long time. I was, I was sick for over 20 years. And so, um, you know, some of those, some of those years I wasn't trying to get well, I was just in my addiction, you know, uh, playing it out further. But for a long time, I was, I, I was trying to get well, but I was also trying to control it and enjoy it and see if I can, well, it's not that bad and denying it. And that's what addicts do. You know, that's what we do. Okay. And okay. so until somebody's ready 
to to face it and really admit that they have a problem, then it's 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 almost impossible uh, for them to recover. So uh, it is helpful um, when a spouse is willing to um, yeah is willing to be engaged and help. I, I know that there's a lot of women out there who they uh, they keep quiet even though they know something's going on in their gut and it's it's not really helpful, but it's fear. You know, they're afraid or they're, um, yeah, their husbands can be very mean or can be very pushed back. And so we're good at silencing our partners, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. so that's the work that Leslie does is helping these women to get a voice and helping them to set firm boundaries and foundations and say, hey, we're not going to, I'm, I'm done living this way. Something needs to change. And until that happens, um, sometimes things just get, get you know, prolonged and, and keep going. Ab- absolutely. I mean, I could just imagine if you're, if you know something's going on, you're afraid because you know this could just totally blow up our marriage and our future and everything, the kids, everything that's involved. Leslie, what what are you seeing in people's lives? Like what what's going? What are what are women dealing with? You obviously you're dealing with a lot of different women situations. Can you share I, for the person who's feeling like, hey, maybe it's just me, maybe it's just my situation? Can you share a little bit about what you're seeing? Of course, it's totally confidential in in people's lives. What are what are people wrestling with? Well, this <clears throat> this question is hard because um, it, and I don't mean to be like elusive, but anything you can imagine. I've heard. So um, these are women just of, of all ages that are, you know, you've got, you've got the, the young woman that's engaged and just finds out that her fiance is addicted to porn. Mm. Um, You have a young mother with children already with children with another baby on the way whose husband you know, engages in infidelity and pornography. Um, you have the the woman who finds out that her husband's been living a second life that she had no idea about. Um, these are these are our mothers, our sisters, you know, our aunts, our grandparents, our grandmothers. Excuse me. Um, these are women who are trying to hold their families together, who have. Um, spent a lifetime building something only to find out that the marriage they thought they had doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. The husband they thought they had or wife. I mean, I really want to hit home that it could be the other gender as well. Their partner isn't who they thought they were. Mm -hmm. And so this life that they think they have no longer exists. So it's, it's women whose entire reality is shattered they have jobs they have they're everybody we know these women we love these women right now in the past in our in at least in our family churches probably other churches as well women in the church were told either hey be you need to be more sexually available you know your husband your husband's struggling you need to be you need to initiate more in the bedroom you need to be more attentive or they're saying, you know, and I think Jeff touched on this in his, his episode is 
you just need to leave your husband. You just, you know, this guy is, is being unfaithful to you. You just need to leave him and say goodbye. So beyond those two polar extremes, what, what are a woman's options if they're, they're discovering a problem in their husband's life? Hmm. Well, I mean, the only real option is to get your own individual recovery plan. It's one thing to should all over these women, (laughs) Um, but they're all different. You know, they all, um, they love their husbands for the most part. I haven't really met one yet who says, I don't love my husband. Um, and I, I let them know, you know, you no, no amount of sex that you have or don't have is going to it cause this. So this isn't on you. You can't fix it. Um, but you can get stronger. Um, you can gain confidence, more confidence, and and learn how to establish boundaries. That's the number one thing that women need to learn in this situation is setting their own boundaries to keep them safe emotionally, physically. Um, But they need their own recovery. And then, you know, I, I like to tell my clients that I, I would like for you in a perfect world to make major life decisions, whether to stay or leave Um, coming from a place of strength rather than from this, um, place of panic and fear and anger because good decisions don't come out of fear. Okay. So let's camp out a little bit on the subject of boundaries. And what you're saying is that women may not set good boundaries because they blame themselves. Like you just said, you can't, you can't fix it. Okay, so mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about that. How do you deal with self-blame? Feeling like, oh, it's my fault. I wasn't a good wife or I didn't do this. How, how, you know, I'm sure that there are people who they hesitate to get help because they go, it's really my fault. You know, if mm-hmm. I had been a more initiative, I hadn't been so tired, maybe this wouldn't have happened. How do you deal with that mm-hmm. kind of issue, the self-blame? Well, what I'm going to say next is not going to be a surprise to any woman listening to this, but every man might go, really? <laughs> um, our, in, our culture is very good at telling women that we're not enough. Mm. We're not pretty enough. We're not sexy enough. We're not smart enough. We're not, you know, all the things that that we aspire to, that we think are the good feminine wife, wifely things to be. Self-blame is baked into every woman. I have never, and I have two adult daughters and, you know, and they have pretty healthy sense of self. And every now and then I've even heard them dip into self-blame, but I, you know, we, we laugh about it Mm. because it's just, it's what we do. You, you want to put the blame on you because, you know, where else are you going to put it? I mean, yes, it was your husband, but why is he looking at porn? Mm. Maybe you don't feel like you're good enough. Mm. I mean, it's this very strange thing. We immediately 
tend to make things about ourselves. I think it's human nature to look for our piece in this problem so that we can fix it. Right. But in this instance, in this addiction, and I would argue in any addiction that our partner is struggling with, we have no piece of it. We, we really truly didn't cause it and we, we can't fix it. We can make it worse. You know, we can <laughs> nag and say the wrong thing and shame and, you know, do things like that. That will not help, but we, we can't do anything to fix it. And the self-blame, I will say, is something that I, you know, I mean, I, I struggled with it. I spent a long time saying, what did I do? What did I do to make him drink so much? I mean, I think about that now and I just shake my head and go, what do you mean? What did you do? Mm. <laughs> you didn't do anything. Right. Yeah. But it takes a long time to, to get out of that mindset. And you, it's almost a, you know, kind of a mantra right. that you have to tell yourself. But women are really good at doing it. Mm. I was going to share celebrate also. celebrate the beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to share that um, there's sort of two parts to the work that we do. So not only are we working on the let's stop this behavior, but we also work really hard at helping people restore a healthy relationship. So we, we talk a lot about what does a healthy relationship look like? What does healthy sexuality look like? What does connected sex look like as compared to disconnected sex? And part of that is helping both spouses to take 100% responsibility for their actions and behaviors. You know, So with addicts, um, they can be really good at blaming their spouse and saying, well, if you were if you would give me more attention, I wouldn't have gone out and, and slept with those prostitutes. And, and so we have to deal with a lot of that stuff, you know, um, and, and really break down those walls of blame, break down those walls of, of not taking responsibility. That's just one of the characteristics of addiction is just, they, they're just not very good at, at taking responsibility at looking at themselves. Um, and so that's a part of how we help people as well. It's just like, look, it's on you. 100%. Okay, so Jeff, in our pre-interview, you said, in your experience, men set better boundaries than women. Can you develop that? Can you explain that? Yeah, I yeah, I think what I what I meant was, um, I don't believe men set better boundaries. <laughs> I think they set worse boundaries. But what I meant is that they are less tolerant. So for, you know, there are why there are wives who have um, committed infidelity and men are a lot less um, willing typically to stay in a marriage if a wife has been unfaithful. They're usually like, you cheated on me, I'm out, boom, and they're gone. Women, on the other hand, uh, from our experience and from what we know to be true is they tend to be willing to stick with a relationship longer, even if they've been through infidelity. Mm. So, I don't know if that's because they're more resilient or um, I think, you know, some cases could be that they just feel like they don't have any other options. Like I don't work. I've been an at-home mom my whole life. You know, we've been married 40 years. What am I going to do? Mm. Where am I going to go? So they're a lot more willing to stick with it and work through it. You know, we work with some couples and we don't, we don't push people one way or the other. We really try to help them meet their goals, but you know, some couples were like, why are you still staying with this relationship? But, you know, I don't, I don't understand, but they, they do, they're, they're willing to stay more longer. Well, that's what we talked about yesterday. And, and Leslie, you mentioned that 
the goal is not always to save the marriage. Can you talk about what, what is the goal when people come in to get help? Well, the goal is whatever they say the goal is. It's, it's not my job or Jeff's job. Well, Jeff's job is to help the men get sober. So I'm assuming Jeff's clients all have the same goal. Um, but my clients come in and I ask them specifically right off the bat, what do you hope to get out of this coaching? What is your goal? Um, and then we head towards that goal. And I remind them throughout because you know, life happens and their husbands might have a slip or full of relapse. I, you know, through all of it, I tell them I am with you on this path. If you want to switch to a new path, I'm, you know, it, you are the one leading the way. I am here to guide you gently, but whatever goal you have set, that is where I will help you get. And so one of the things, um, that we work really hard um, and my work is to help women dismantle their false beliefs. So I'm still thinking about the self-blame and the and all of that and dismantling false beliefs that we have about ourselves and the impact we have on those around us is some of the most um, amazing transformative work that Jeff and I can do. Jeff, what do you do if a woman's husband is in a high profile position, you're afraid he may lose his job or his status. Maybe, maybe he's a minister. Maybe he's a public employee or CEO. You're worried about what are the kids going to think that's going to mess up our family, our life. I mean, it's what do you, what do you do in that situation? Hmm. Yeah, I think fear is one of the biggest things that'll hold somebody back from recovering. Uh, especially fear of consequences. You know, that's why people hide stuff, right? Is if people knew this, I'm going to be in trouble. Um, a lot of people don't tell their spouses because they don't, they don't want the reaction. You know, they don't want the, the anger, the yelling, the whatever it, they're going to get. And so I think if somebody is serious about recovery, I think they have to put that aside and they have to be willing to face whatever consequences might come we're not the ones that's going to expose them or, or tell anybody or make them do anything. We only make suggestions for people, but our goal is to help people recover and get healthy. Right. And prior and, and recovery has to become a priority for people if they want to get well. And so they have to be willing, you know, it doesn't mean they have to quit their job or they have to stand up in front of the church and say, this is what's been going on, but they need to get a plan and they, they need to get help and they need to start facing it and dealing with it. And um, in that process, there might be some hard decisions that people have to make. Mm. You know, um, they may have to decide, you know, with the way with this sickness, with what's happened, it may not be best for me to stay in the position I'm in. Mm. Uh, best case scenario, um, I think most people can live you know, uh, a healthy life and continue to do what they're, they've been doing and, and hopefully sobriety can just help them be even better at it, you know? Um, but that's, you know, our attitude is recovery has to be top priority, you know, like there's just no two ways about it. You can't, you can't try to fake it or you can't try to hide it and hope everything is okay. You have to really face it. So that's okay. my thoughts on that. Okay. So let's talk more about recovery, Leslie. What, what services do you provide? Like what, 
if a person came to you and said, hey, Leslie, I, I feel like I need help. What, what does the program look like? What, how would you help the person? I do 50-minute uh, sessions individually. I also have work groups. And where the individual group, we are going to dig into what's happening specifically for you, uh, maybe family of origin things. We're really going to find your pain, pain points, address them, um, and help alleviate, you know, and process all of the pain that you're going through because of this betrayal. I mean, it has a name. It's partner betrayal trauma. It, it might not be the big T trauma that you're thinking of, like a car accident or a murder, but it is trauma. Your body registers this as trauma. Mm-hmm. And so we work... I work specifically with an individual and it might be we she sets the pace. Usually it's once a week for maybe a couple months. And then as she gains traction in her recovery, she goes to every two weeks. And then the goal is that eventually she's not a client. You know, I mean, that's that's my hope for her. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing I offer is a work groups. So they're not just support groups. Um, it definitely isn't a dump session. You're going to work hard, but you're going to have a group of women that support and encourage. They share their stories. They share their successes. They share their challenges. Um, I've got a Wednesday group that, you know, it makes me emotional. I told them last night, bearing witness to their recovery is miraculous. Mm. It is the most amazing thing I've ever witnessed. They are the strongest women, Mm. the most courageous. We also laugh a lot in group because if you can't laugh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, um, sometimes that's the best thing you can do is Mm. just kind of laugh at the absurdity of like how, how possibly could this have happened? Um, And how am I still standing? It's crazy. Mm. Um, but we care for one another, you know, so those are primarily the things that I do. Okay. We also do couples sessions. So Jeff and I will meet with a couple, all four of us. And that is often where, um, some of the real work goes because the addict can't hide because I'm sitting there and they know that I'm (laughs) fighting for their wife. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm not a shrinking violet. I'm not afraid of bullies. And so I will say what I have to say with love and compassion, but I am direct. Okay. So this is all uh, done over zoom. I, I'm assuming this is, which mm-hmm. is great. I mean, yeah. praise God that zoom has become mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've heard secondhand, Jeff, that you're not definitely not afraid to challenge and, and which is mm. great. I mean, it's kind of like old school discipling, just, just really being honest, speaking the truth in love. And sure. And I think that's, that's awesome. Um, is there hope after recovery? Let's say a person decides, Hey, I really want my marriage to, to get back to what it can be. Can a marriage be repaired? Mm, yeah. They can. That's just the simple yes, period. But (laughs) another, I would say it can only be repaired if there is honesty. 
full transparency. Both people are willing to have those hard, honest conversations. The old marriage is gone. It it didn't exist in the first place in the way that either partner thought it did. And so when that marriage is, you know, is gone, you have this amazing opportunity to rebuild stronger and better than ever. You know, the Gottmans talk about the sound relationship house and its trust and commitment are the weight bearing walls. And when we can work with a couple as a couple, but also as individuals separately and build those weight bearing walls, build the skills to have those, then you really can have this miraculous marriage. I, I, I will share that I never in a million years thought that I could have the type of relationship I have with Jeff, the marriage I have. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. Do we argue? You bet we do. Um, are we honest with one another? Absolutely. We are rigorously honest. We share our feelings. We share our fears. We're vulnerable. And that's what we help our clients learn how to do. Because when you do those things, you have this beautiful relationship that's better than you ever thought it could be. And, and let's be honest, I don't know about you, but I didn't necessarily learn when I was a child how to have a super healthy relationship. <laughs> I mean, my parents loved each other. I knew that, but you know, you don't know what you don't know. So luckily there are people who teach how to build a healthy relationship and you know, and that's who we follow. That's what we do. I was just going to jump in and say, you know, our, our hope and desire for people is that they would stay married and have a healthy relationship. I mean, that's that's really what we would love to see happen. Um, I would say that the thing that's really required is for both people to be 100 percent committed and responsible. So um, the hardest scenarios for us that we see is when one spouse or one individual really wants it, really wants to heal and grow and change and the other person doesn't. So there are there are guys who come halfway in, halfway out and they're still living in their addiction. They're, they trickle out some of their prior behaviors over time. Like, okay, is that everything? Yes. And then later we discover that they Oh yeah, they also had this affair that they didn't talk about. And those are the women that are that really go through the pain because they get this trickling um truth over time. And it's just like where you know, you can't begin to rebuild if we can't get it all out on the table. So we have this disclosure session where we're trying to get, okay, let's get everything out. We follow that up with the polygraph test to make sure that that's all there is and he's being honest about it. So it's pretty hardcore. But we we really things can't change unless both couples are really committed to the process and so that's why it's so important to have the guy uh involved in recovery and the spouse also being willing to go through this process of healing and and learning these these things that leslie teaches as well okay did i just hear you say that you administer a polygraph test a, a lie detector test yeah, I kind of snuck that in there, didn't I? You sure did. Can, can you, <laughs> you um, expand that. on that? <laughs> yeah, it's. I would. It, it is a tool that we use. Um, it's primarily for married couples, but um, 
believe it or not, addicts have a hard time telling the truth <laughs> because of all the things we already talked about. And so there really is no way to tell, to confirm that they're, that they're sober as long as they said they, you know, they are. Um, there's no way to really tell that, you know, if somebody says I've had these two affairs, that there hasn't been more. And so the only way we can really tell is to go through, it's, it's a common practice that we've learned through, um, through our program, AASAT, through Dr. Doug Weiss. He totally recommends it and requires it for his clients. And so that's the practice we, that we've implemented as well. And it's really helpful. You know, it's helpful. We've worked with couples that, you know, they, they will lie going into their grave. And so we just, you know, it's the only way to, to really know for sure that the things somebody is saying are true. So, wow. yeah, it sounds pretty harsh or hard line, but it, it's just, um, it's when, you know, I, I've gone through it. I've had to do it. I do a polygraph once a year, uh, for my business and for my relationship with my wife. Um, we did it before we got married. Um, so, she, you know, when I told her this the last time I looked at pornography, um, I confirmed it with a polygraph test. And mm. so she knew, all right, this is what I'm working with. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I will, I will say that I will add that often for the spouse, it is, it is when they can truly exhale and say, okay, I'm not going to find out something new. I know everything. And you really, Rob, you can't forgive until you know what you're forgiving and you can't move past something if you don't know what you're moving past. And so Doing the polygraph really allows the spouse to kind of exhale and and have some sense that they know what happened, they know it is stopped, and then they can move forward. It's this peace of mind, I can't explain it, but I've experienced it. It's you wanna believe this person, but at the same time they're saying addicts lie. And you're like, wait, I don't get it. I thought you said you were telling the truth. <laughs> like, no, I'm not lying. <laughs> so it just ends up being this this um tool that that really benefits in building trust. It makes a whole bunch of sense. I just didn't see that one coming. That's that's powerful. Mm -hmm. You you can't forgive unless you know what you're forgiving. You can't mm -hmm. move past something unless you know what you're moving past. Well, those, that's some mm -hmm. sound bites, right? That's really powerful. Now, are, are there any good news stories? I mean, tell, to be honest here, do, do people, are there examples of people who've gotten past this and who are doing well? Well, Jeff is doing well. <laughs> he's a, good, he's, a, yes. he's a good, good news story. I will say there absolutely are. I have, um, I have clients that I miss. And when I say that, it means that they don't need to be my client anymore and they've moved on. They're healthy, they're happy, they have rebuilt their relationships with their spouses. Um, they still have my number, should they ever need to just have a chat. And um, But yeah, you can recover from this, you can rebuild. And like I was saying, it's not just a theory, you really can have an amazing, authentic, intimate marriage after a betrayal. So Jeff, like, how do you, what do you do in the church and in our family of churches, there's definitely a tradition of having discipling, but how do you know when you need more than 
discipling? How, how do you know when you've, you've crossed the line, you go, okay, this is not really working. I need to get something in, in addition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I did talk about this a little bit in the first podcast we did, um, but my own personal experience is that I had to realize that something was broken in my relationship with God. And I mean, I considered myself to be a faithful disciple. I was doing all the right things and yet I still couldn't get sober. Something still wasn't working. And so, um, you know, praying more, reading my Bible more, wasn't going to solve this problem. I had to go outside the church to get some help. And so for me, it just was a matter of time, a a matter of failing for enough, for a long enough time to where I knew, okay, this is not going to change, you know? And so that was, um, you know, that was for me. And I, I started crossing more boundaries. I started doing things that I'm like, God, I, I got fired from a job, you know, looking at pornography at work. And so all these things started happening. I'm like, how in the world <laughs> did this happen? You know? And so that was the last straw for me where I said, I need, I need some professional help. And so I, I looked outside the church for help. Okay. Leslie, yeah. you had talked about how for, for women, you really do need to get into recovery. You know, it's probably not going to, the problem is not going to go away just by um, ordinary means. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Can you expand on that? I think the best way to kind of address this is, or explain this idea that no matter what happens with your spouse or your marriage, the marriage may end like, like my first marriage ended. But that wound of betrayal, that trauma stays with you. It doesn't disappear when the cause of that trauma walks out the door. You are left with this wound and it's it's your responsibility to heal that. And if you don't, you will always, there's always a shadow. I mean, when I got into re- my own recovery after Jeff um, started recovery, I learned about codependency, you know, that was my wound. And had I not learned how to heal myself and work on my growth and healing from codependency, recognizing my behavior, um, I don't think Jeff and I would make it. I just think that I would have carried, I still carry shadows of, you know, triggers, things happen and it just sends me right back, my gut drops. And Jeff will just kind of put a hand on me and go, it's okay. You know, that's not me. Uh, And I have to remind myself that. And so I think anybody who's experienced trauma knows what I'm talking about. You have to heal yourself because, you know, that beautiful book that's out, it's been out forever on the bestseller. The body keeps the score. Your trauma will come back to haunt you when you least expect it. So it is my job to help you process this pain and come out the other side. You know, there's no way out, but through. So that's, that's what we get to do. So I would imagine that after listening, there's going to be people who are like, wow, okay, this is, this is awesome. I definitely need this help, but either, I'm afraid or my husband is afraid of the stigma of addiction or saying I'm, I'm an addict or I'm, I'm hooked on this. And, and, you know, 
they're like, oh, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I, I don't think I really need to deal with it like this. I, I only struggle with porn like once a month. I know it happens every month, but I've got it, you know, kept down to a limit. So what do you say to a person like that? Okay. I'm going to be completely honest. Can you, I want you to imagine that you're me and you leave one relation marriage because of addiction and then you fall in love and find out this person is also an addict. And then you actually have to tell your family <laughs> and your friends and your children that this man that you love, that you've chosen to live the rest of your life with is also an addict. And then you live this public life where you make recovery your job. <laughs> um, I've had to do that, all of those things. And it it's hard, but I mean, it's there's so much. I, I've never been so nervous when I sent our website to one of my children and just said, here, it's live. And I was terrified. And this daughter of mine immediately just sent me suggestions for editing <laughs> and then said, and then called and said, I just want to tell you how proud I am of you. Mm. And so I was so afraid she never once said anything. Mm. And isn't that usually the case? The most people will offer you grace, love and compassion if you just give them a chance. And so often when we come out and we share our truth, even though we have, we're nervous or, I mean, I was terrified. And now I talk openly with my dad about what we do. And he's just like, wow, <laughs> I can't believe it. And um, I just wanna say that it's, you know, chances are you're talking to someone who's experienced to some degree exactly what you're what you're sharing mm. i don't know anybody who doesn't either have a family member or a friend that it struggles with an addiction it could be any addiction right. i think when we put stigma and shame around things we prolong the pain mm. and i've had it with shame i'm i'm over it <laughs> um i'm just not gonna propagate it anymore my People I love come to me and, and want to share their truth. The last thing they're going to hear is, what? Right. I can't believe you do that. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, because we're all just human. Right. We are all just doing our best. That's right. L Leslie, what, what do you want to tell women? Person that's just mm. sitting there going, I, I'm in such a deep hole. What would you like to tell mm -hmm. them? I would say you're not alone, you know, give me a call. Let's talk. Mm. You're, you're, I can guarantee you're not alone. And the things that you're feeling are valid. Mm. And another thing, you're not crazy, mm. <laughs> you know, because these gaslighting addicts love to make it about their spouse. Mm. So I validate. I tell them, you're not alone. I see your pain, and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry this has happened to you. How, how, I want to help you get through this. How can someone reach you for help? How do they get a hold of you? 
Um, well, um, we have a website. So it's lovingwingsrecovery.com. And then they can email me at Leslie. Well, I shouldn't say at Leslie. <laughs> they can email me, Leslie at lovingwingsrecovery.com. Okay, so and then we can talk. So lovingwingsrecovery.com or Leslie at lovingwingsrecovery.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'd give my cell number right now, but I don't <laughs> think I can handle that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure people can reach you through that and, and set up the help that they need. Thank you guys so much mm-hmm. for uh, your time, what you're doing, the difference you're making. It is really powerful. I can just share from personal testimony. It's helping people that I care about a lot. And so um, all the best to you guys going forward. Great. Yeah. Thank you, Thank Rob. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I want to thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. And if you're enjoying the podcast, I'd like to ask your help. I'd like to ask your support. First, hit the subscribe button. Also, post the episode and send it to your friends. Post the episode and its link on your favorite social media site. Also, read my books, How to Plant and Grow a Church, or Courage, How to Make This Life Count. You can find them on Amazon or through IPI Books. And if you've read one of my books, can I ask an additional favor? Please leave a review on Amazon. Helps people to find it. It doesn't get lost in the millions and millions of books that are out there. So your reviews make a huge, huge difference. And then just pray for me and for the church here in Tucson. Because my goal is to inspire you to live a no no regrets life, to make this life count, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.